Well, hi there, and welcome to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and thank you so much for being here with us today. Greatly appreciate your support. I wanted to, I'm very excited to let you know, too, that we have, uh, the show has been so successful that they just asked me to do another year contract. So we are, we'll be here for definitely another 52 weeks of this. I'm looking really forward to sharing so much value with you. And uh, today we have another special guest with us who is Dr. Stephanie Seneff. And I'm going to give you a brief bio on her. Um, and our topic today is the sulfation pathway in autism. And sulfation is something that parents of children with autism need to know about. And and it's it's one of those sort of scientific aspects, but it's really, really important to know we're going to break it down into layman's terms, basically letting you know that it is a major pathway of detoxification in the body, among many other things that it does. And so it's really important to know if your child has these sensitivities and how you can uh, bring them back to balance and also what kinds of triggers might be there for, for your child as well if they have this. So Dr. Stephanie Senna is a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory in Cambridge, Massachusetts, USA. She has a bachelor's degree from MIT in biology and a PhD from MIT in electrical engineering and computer science. Her recent interests have focused on the role of toxic chemicals and micronutrient deficiencies in health and disease, with a special emphasis on the pervasive herbicide Roundup and the mineral sulfur. She has authored over 30 peer-reviewed journal papers over the past few years on these topics. And I want to let, let you know right away that, as usual, I have created a page for you with where I'll, I'll link to anything that we talk about in this, uh, in this interview today at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 24, just the numbers 2-4. So everything that uh, you can find is, will be there in case you're driving or you're out on your morning run or running around, um, you'll be able to, to gather that information and look back at this as well. So, uh, Dr. Senna, thank you so much for being here today. And I want to tell everybody, she the, talk about a trooper. She is in Hawaii on her vacation, and she got to um, got here for us today so that she could she could share this information with you. So, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. You've you've got my two favorite topics there: sulfur and glyphosate. So I should be good to go. <laughs> <laughs> And I will link also uh, uh, for for if you haven't um, listened in the past or, or missed a past episode what I did with Dr. Seneff on uh, glyphosate, glyphosate, which we're going to talk about in this episode, obviously, um, to let you know even further details about it. So, Dr. Seneff, you believe that the sulfate deficiency is a key factor in autism. So, can you explain the, the evidence that you have to support the, the idea around that? Yeah, I want to start with saying that Rosemary Waring, uh, did. A, she worked with a lot of autistic patients, and way back in 1990, she published what I consider to be a remarkable paper where she, she looked at um, sulfate and sulfite levels in the urine of autistic kids, and she found extremely high, so that sulfate was twice as high as it should be, and that sulfite was like 30 times as high as it would be normally. It was incredibly high levels of sulfite in the urine, and that's like a huge hint that there's something fishy going on with sulfur management, you know, because uh, sulfur is complicated. Sulfur is is super, super essential in the body. It's interesting that we don't have a minimum daily requirement. You know, it's not that people sort of think there's enough around and you don't need to worry about it, but that's not true. Many of our foods are being 
depleted of their sulfur content, and so we're getting sulfur deficiency, but we're also getting disrupted sulfur uh, metabolism in the body, which depends a lot on the gut microbes as well. So they get the gut microbes get messed up, and the sulfur just is not managed correctly. Sulfide is very toxic, and sulfate is essential. So you really get into trouble if you can't convert sulfite to sulfate. And I think that's a critical, critical piece of the puzzle with the autistic kids, um, that in their gut they can't convert sulfite to sulfate because of glyphosate disrupting that enzyme. This is what I think. I learned about sulfate early on when I started studying autism many years ago. Well, about 10 or 12 years ago I got really serious about trying to figure out autism because I was worried about the rising rate. And I was frustrated that most of the research dollars were going into genetics. I figured it had to be an environmental problem. So I started looking for environmental toxins that might be contributing. And it took me a long time, maybe four or five years before I figured out glyphosate. But I really believe it was an epiphany for me when I heard a presentation uh, given um, by Professor Don Huber, who's a retired professor from Purdue. And he gave a two-hour presentation on glyphosate. I did not know the word when I walked into that room. And, And when I came out... I was converted. It was like a religious experience, and I have spent ever since then, this is about five or six years ago, practically every second of my life studying glyphosate because it's such a fascinating molecule, and it has incredibly interesting biological mechanisms by which it causes toxicity. This is what I believe. So so I'm really deep into this subject at this point, and I'm convinced that um, basically, glyphosate is a train wreck for sulfate, and sulfate is super important. As you mentioned, one of the things it's important for is detoxification. But there's there's really tremendous evidence beyond rosemary. So rosemary Mason gave, gave this rosemary Waring gave this um, idea that there's something going on with the sulfate. She also found low levels of sulfate in the blood. So high levels in the urine, low levels in the blood. This means these kids are flushing sulfate, and then you have to ask, well, why are they doing that? What is wrong that's making them? you know, get rid of their sulfate when they need it so so important. So that becomes interesting, too, to think about in terms of the biological mechanisms. But um, there's also evidence looking at the brain, and this is for both humans and experiments with mice, really fascinating studies. They have now many different papers about different species, there are different versions of mice that have autism, and it's really interesting. They've managed to create these designer mice that show the, all the mouse versions, all the mouse evidence. You know, they can look at the way those mice behave and say, oh, these mice have, have autism, a mouse version of autism. And um, there's, there was one amazing experiment that I found where they actually were able to manipulate the, um, the enzymes that were involved in making something called heparin sulfate in the brain, in the ventricles in the brain. So they were very, this was a very specific dysfunction that they gave these mice shortly after birth. And, they, of course, they did this because they suspected it might be a problem. They, they, they basically disrupted the mice's ability to make heparin sulfate in the brain ventricles. And sure enough, those mice exhibited all the mouse features of autism. So this is like a very specific uh, thing that they did to cause the autism in the mice, which gives you a huge hint that that may be a critical piece of the puzzle for autism. And then on top of that, there's another set of mice called BTBR mice. These mice are super interesting. They created them... They made them be autistic through by, by basically growing lab mice in multiple generations and every generation selecting for the ones that were most uh, most clearly exhibited autistic features. So they basically did a genetic pruning to, to, uh, to inbreed, inbreeding of these mice to produce autism. And they now have a species of mouse that, that breeds true. So they can, you, can, you can buy these mice, you know, on the web if you're a researcher. And, and these mice have 
lots of problems with their gut. So they've done a lot of studying of these mice, and they understand uh, many of the unusual features of their gut that is reflected in imbalances in the gut microbes and, and you know, different uh, deficiencies in certain nutrients and all this kind of stuff. But those mice also have, they've seen that they have reduced sulfate in the, in the brain ventricles. And then they've also shown that in human studies with the autistic brains post-mortem, they've shown reduced heparin sulfate in the brain ventricles. So a very specific thing that I think is a core feature of autism. Wow. There's uh, so, so much important information to, uh, to share and, and to make sure that we also, um, you know, tell, tell our listeners, like, you know, as a parent of a child with autism, why, how this is happening and why sulfate is so important. We need to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to dive right back into those subjects and, uh, and follow through on this, uh, this piece with sulfate and autism. So thank you for being here. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We will be. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and today we have Dr. Stephanie Senes joining us, and we're talking about the sulfation pathway in autism. And we talked a little bit uh, before our first commercial break about uh, a little bit about the 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 extreme sensitivities that children with autism have to sulfate and this leaky gut and how glyphosate is uh, is uh, basically part of that environmental trigger, but um, Let's look at maybe a little bit about why sulfate's important to the body, and I'd also like to kind of dive into how some of these triggers are happening so easily. So uh, can you share that with us, Dr. Seneff? Definitely, yes. Uh, so sulfate is, is really uh, crucial in the body for many roles, and you mentioned detoxification, which is really important. Many of these toxic chemicals, the liver adds sulfate to them, which makes them water-soluble, and then ships them back to the gut, and they become accessible for degradation, so or for um, if they get water soluble and that allows them to be uh, taken out. Otherwise, they become very toxic. So it's a way of detoxifying a lot of um, non sort of fat soluble toxins that are in your environment. Other things besides glyphosate are going to be cleared more quickly if sulfation is working in the liver. So if that pathway is disrupted, you're going to have a, a much greater sensitivity to other toxic chemicals in the environment. Um, another thing is that heparin sulfate, I mentioned before, in the brain ventricles, but heparin sulfate is all over the body. It's in what's called the extracellular matrix proteins that surround most of the cells. Most of the tissues have, every cell in the tissues has this uh, coating around it that has these complicated sugar chains with sulfates attached to them in, a, in an irregular but not random pattern. And it's really interesting because there's a lot of signaling that goes on there. The heparin sulfate that lines the blood vessels is, is really important for picking up uh, signals that are coming through in, in the blood and even for picking up nutrients like LDL to get the LDL particles, which is cholesterol, to, to actually take up that cholesterol, you need to have the heparin sulfate. Um, and it's involved also with you know processing sugar. I mean, all of these different um, receptors in, in, the, um, in the cells, there's, heparin sulfate is crucial for them to be able to receive their signals. And so, um, so, so insufficient sulfation in the blood, for example, is going to cause problems. It's even going to cause problems with circulation because the heparin sulfate, actually, the sulfate creates, um, gels the water. So it creates a kind of gel layer surrounding uh, the blood vessel, uh, which you can imagine jello, a slick surface. The red blood cells can just slide through the capillaries almost effortlessly if there is this jello surrounding the, the vessel wall. 
But if there's not enough sulfate, that jello will not exist, and you'll have all these uh, molecules kind of protruding out and getting the red blood cells stuck. So you can actually have no-flow situations with the blood. So it's very, very important to have adequate sulfate lining the blood vessels in order for the circulation to, to move, the blood to move uh, smoothly through the, um, through the vessels. Um, sulfate is also crucial. The cells actually take up the heparin sulfate and they incorporate it into what's called lysosomes where they break down cellular debris. So when you have, um, just in living, the cells end up damaging, you know, their, their uh, molecules and they have to break those things down and then recycle them, you know, build new healthy molecules out of the ones that got busted. And they do that in the lysosomes, like the cell's digestive system. And that's also where they will take up viruses and bacteria and, um, and kill them and even perhaps use them as resources. You know, the raw materials that you get from breaking down a virus can be used as repurposed as, as fresh materials for the cell to use. And that whole process of um, clearing the viruses, so for example, a macrophage is clearing an infection depends upon sulfate. And the cell clearing the cellular debris that they get from oxidation and glycation damage depends on sulfate. So when you don't have enough sulfate, all those things break down and you get, you know, a susceptibility to infection, a sort of broken immune system, and you get uh, all the cellular debris can accumulate. For example, in something like Alzheimer's, you get a lot of amyloid beta plaque accumulating in the brain. It causes Alzheimer's disease. So these things are all critically dependent on having enough sulfate. And how do we get enough sulfate? And I also know that some people are very sulfate sensitive, especially children with autism in the beginning. So you have to move very slowly into putting sulfate foods or even Epsom salts baths and things like that into their system because if they have that sensitivity in the beginning, they can have reactions. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's a crucial problem because it it becomes a situation where sulfur is both uh, essential and toxic at the same time. And this is actually true of many of the minerals as well, like manganese and iron and zinc. They can, and copper, they can all become both toxic and deficient at the same time if, in fact, you've got your system disrupted, the system that the body has to manage them. And that's what's going on with the sulfur. Uh, and it's, it's interesting to look at sort of some of the effects of glyphosate that have been studied. For example, they studied E. coli bacteria uh, there was a wonderful study that had that looked at which um, enzymes were upregulated and downregulated in response to glyphosate. They found a huge change in the way the E. coli behaved when they were exposed to glyphosate. But one of the things they noticed was that there was a um, deficiency. Uh, you know, the enzymes that are involved in making methionine out of sulfur, out of or inorganic sulfur sources, was disrupted. So this means that the gut microbe. We actually, our cells don't know how to make methionine out of inorganic sulfur. They can't do it. Our microbes are really smart, and one of the things they can do is to convert inorganic sulfur, which is like sulfate, sulfite, into methionine uh, using these enzymes that are busted by glyphosate. And so what happens? With that is both methionine deficiency and sulfur toxicity at the same time because the gut microbes are are sleeping on the job. And, you know, E. coli is just representative, but probably most of the gut microbes are affected in the same way that um, you end up with deficiencies in methionine. Of course, methionine is the uh, methylation pathway, and there's a lot of chatter about methylation uh, defects in autism, which is directly connected to deficiencies in methionine. So that's where where you can source that. But at the same time, then you have the sulfur sensitivity because of the blocked enzymes. And so the the the, the answer is to get rid of the glyphosate. And and you know that means uh, eating organic. I mean, one of the most important things you can do is switch to an organic diet. 
And you can also learn which foods are likely to be highly contaminated with glyphosate and avoid those foods, and, or at least eat them organically if you're going to eat them. And, and that includes, for example, um, wheat, you know, all the wheat-based products. There's a lot of uh, spraying of wheat with glyphosate right before harvest that goes on. It turns out to, to be a, a big boon in terms of improving the harvest yield and, and maybe chasing a frost. You're trying to avoid the, the crop freezing. You know, there's, people are sometimes very strongly motivated to want to do this. But what's happening is when you, when you spray it shortly before harvest, it goes into the seed and gets into the food. So we have an epidemic in gluten intolerance, and I know a lot of the autistic kids have sensitivity to gluten. So um, I think the reason is because of the glyphosate contamination in the wheat. Um, and so that's a reason to avoid wheat or to eat it organically. Right. I know that uh, one of the ways that they try to dry the crops up for wheat crops, especially right before harvest, they'll spray, spray glyphosate on it. And glyphosate in, you know, if many people are using a product called Roundup in their yard to kill the weeds, and they don't realize that that is glyphosate. So it's very important to, to know for yourself in your own home and to notify your neighbors that you don't want to be spraying glyphosate Roundup in your yard because even by Inhaling it through just your nostrils, you can you can disrupt the gut and it and the membranes because it's uh, even just uh, just inhaling it can be as damaging as eating it. But they're trying to dry these crops up so quickly so they can also get them into to harvesting, get them into the mill, turn them up faster, and get them out to process um, faster. So yeah, that's why we see gluten sensitivities as one of the biggest triggers uh, in um, gut issues and um, symptoms of autism. We need to take a short break right now, but we're going to dive further into this when we come back. So uh, please stay with us. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. And today we have Dr. Stephanie Senefon as our guest, and we are discussing the sulfation pathway in autism. And before this last break, we were talking a little bit about uh, glyphosate, which again is in, in the weed killer roundup that many people have still have in their garage and, and don't realize the, the, the dangers around it and spraying it on the weeds around your home and how dangerous that that can even be um, even when you inhale it. And so Dr. Senef is a specialist in glyphosate, and I have interviewed her in the past, and I will link um, in the show notes again. Uh, for uh, They'll be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 24, just the numbers 2-4. And um, I'll link to that episode so you can get the deeper details. But Dr. Senef, uh, for people who are listening now, would you would you share a little bit more about some of these, these issues of, with glyphosate before we, we go into more about sulfation? Yeah, I wanted to just mention with this idea of breathing the glyphosate, one thing that I was shocked to find, I found a paper that talked about specifically exposing, uh, I don't know if it was rats or mice, to glyphosate through breathing, and they observed that the nose, cells in the nose actually actively took up the glyphosate along amino acid transport channels because glyphosate is an amino acid. That's, that's really a critical thing uh, that makes it so toxic is because it's, it's a, an amino acid and something that our cells think of as something, you know, natural, and they end up taking up the glyphosate in the nose and delivering it straight to the brain. So it's very scary to be breathing glyphosate. I think absolutely should throw away any Roundup that you have uh, and never use it again on your on your weeds. Uh, absolutely should do that. Okay, yeah, thank you. I think, uh, and also I'll link to uh, Moms Across America. They are a group that uh, helps to educate I, people throughout the world uh, on the issues of glyphosate, so you can also help educate your community as well. So let's get back a little bit to to the sulfation issues at hand, too, with 
you had mentioned uh, high serum oxalate and low vitamin D status and mm-hmm. um, and leading to some of these deficiencies. So, uh, and I do eventually want to get back into that piece where we talked about how a child can have these sensitivities and they you have to slowly and very gradually increase things back into their system to give them what they need um, when they're deficient, but not too quickly because they can then have... Right. Uh, reactions. And I know a lot of this is about healing the gut, and uh, I work with that as well in my program. But um, so can you discuss some of these, you know, I know you have some more scientific background for us on these these serum oxalates, and especially low D. A lot of people don't don't realize yeah. the low vitamin D level issue. Right. And low D is an epidemic in our society. It was like once the doctors realized they started testing for vitamin D, and it was like, holy cow, everybody's deficient in vitamin D. Almost nobody seems to have enough, you know. And I think that's a direct consequence of glyphosate. It's been shown in mouse studies uh, that glyphosate specifically messes up a class of enzymes called cytochrome P450 enzymes in the liver. And those enzymes are actually essential for producing the bile acids. And they're also essential for many of the detoxification pathways. So along with the sulfate problem, there's also this cyp enzyme problem that will cause, again, increased toxicity of other toxic chemicals. But an important thing is that vitamin D is activated in the liver by a cytochrome P450 enzyme. So if that gets disrupted by glyphosate, then you're going to have low vitamin D. Even if you're taking vitamin D, it's not going to get activated uh, properly in the liver, so your body won't be able to use it. And I think that's a crucial uh, piece of the puzzle as to why we have a vitamin D deficiency epidemic. So again, the way to improve the vitamin D is to get rid of the glyphosate. Of course, also sunlight exposure. I totally believe in sunlight exposure to the skin. And I think we're way too uh, obsessed with sunscreen in today's society. It's just ridiculous. And it's interesting to see that we, we, we use much more sunscreen now than we did when I was a child. And the levels are much, much higher. The, the uh, you know, protection factor, like 60, you know, these ridiculously high. When I was a child, you couldn't buy anything higher than nine, you know. And now you can get these 64 plus and whatnot, really high protection, um, talk, really toxic uh, sunscreens that you're putting on your on your skin that I think actually disrupts your skin's ability to make sulfate. So I believe that uh, I've written papers about this theory that there's um, sulfate is synthesized in the skin in response to sunlight and that sulfate is actually used to sulfate vitamin D. So the vitamin D is synthesized in response to sunlight. The sulfate is synthesized. The two of them are put together to make vitamin D sulfate, which is water-soluble. So, again, when you add sulfate, you make it water-soluble. You don't have to put it inside an LDL particle to ship it around. So you can just the skin can just throw that vitamin D sulfate right out into the blood and carry it over to the liver where it gets activated by these enzymes that are disrupted by glyphosate. So you can see that um, there's just major problems with vitamin D deficiency and also sulfate deficiency as a consequence of insufficient sunlight exposure and aggressive protection, sun protection. Uh, Same thing with, by the way, sunglasses. I don't think people should wear sunglasses. I I don't even own a pair. I'm always outside without sunglasses. And um, the eyes eyes can pick up the sun, and behind the eyes there's the pineal gland. And the pineal gland makes sulfate in response to sunlight. And then in the evening, it makes the melatonin, and it attaches the melatonin to sulfate and ships it out into the cerebral spinal fluid. So this is a source of sulfate for the heparin sulfate in the ventricles that's so critically deficient in in autism. So absolutely no sunglasses outside in the sunlight. Allow the pineal gland to make the sulfate, which can then supply sulfate to the brain, which critically needs it. 
to help uh, ease the autism symptoms. I think that's absolutely crucial. And wow. so the oscillators so, is the other one that, yeah, oh, go ahead. <clears throat> well, I, yeah, it's a lot of information, and it's great to know, um, because if you're supplementing with vitamin D, even if it's a very bioabsorbable one, um, maybe a sublingual one would be better, because you got to bypass the liver, especially if the liver is disrupted, or if glyphosate is disrupting that process in the liver. So uh, for people who you know, maybe live in very cold areas of the, in the winter, uh, how do you have other ways that you suggest that people uh, can get some more vitamin D in, in those, you know, low sunlight months? Right. I mean, one thing is to eat foods that contain vitamin D. <clears throat> I think up north, the, um, you know, the Eskimos would rely on the, on the seal blubber, right? <laughs> seal blubber contains a lot of vitamin D. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've got <clears throat> Um, but eating, uh, so for example, uh, dairy, like uh, butter, you know, there's uh, vitamin D in, in butter. Um, and um, also, I, I think if I lived in Canada, I would probably use a full spectrum sun exposure, you know, um, tanning kind of thing uh, to actually expose myself to a full spectrum light um, in order to get extra vitamin D in the winter. But you can store it up in the summer. So getting a really good tan in the summertime will help you to pull you through the winter. Now, I, of course, come to Hawaii and get a lot of sun here in the winter. So I I really believe in getting adequate sunlight exposure. I think it's crucial for your immune system in particular because, again, you get that sulfate. It helps you to helps the immune cells to be able to clear the viruses and bacteria. Um, Really, really important to get adequate sunlight exposure. I can't emphasize that enough. Right, and I know the vitamin D is... Walking, walking outdoors, uh, if you live near the ocean, walk in the ocean water um, outdoors, um, you know, barefoot, and because you can get uh, grounding. Grounding is important, too, because that's a way to get negative charge, and negative charge uh, will help the blood circulate. Uh, and, of course, sulfate carries negative charge, so that's one of the important things about the sulfate. The sulfate actually is in the membranes of the red blood cells. The red blood cells make the sulfate in response to sunlight, and then they put it into their uh, membrane as cholesterol sulfate. So cholesterol is another critical piece of the puzzle. Uh, insufficient cholesterol as a problem in autism, and in particular, insufficient cholesterol sulfate. And what I believe happens is that in the skin, in response to sunlight, both cholesterol sulfate and vitamin D sulfate are produced. And the cholesterol sulfate is perhaps the more important molecule because it's providing both cholesterol and sulfate to all the tissues. Vitamin D is more of a signaling molecule. It's sort of telling the system, hey, look, we've got cholesterol sulfate covered. So by virtue of the vitamin D sulfate being there, it's a signaling molecule that's thinking that there must be cholesterol sulfate as well because they would have come together. But when you take a vitamin D uh, supplement, you miss the cholesterol sulfate. You only get the vitamin D, so it's a false signal. So I actually don't like... Uh, getting your vitamin D through supplements. I think you should get it either through natural foods, foods that naturally contain it, which will also have the cholesterol sulfate, or by getting exposure to the sun, which I think is the best way to get it. Right, because vitamin D, you know, they're you know they taunt flu season, and people, uh, you know, I, I caution on flu flu shots, um, and they. You know, vitamin D is is one of the best flu fighters available. It's it's antibacterial and antiviral, and so these are really really good things for people to know right now um, to make sure that you know you're eating some of these right foods. It's nice to know that your suntan from the summertime does uh, does help to build up and can can last a little bit into the winter. But uh, 
that full spectrum type of, of lights in the winter might be a, a really good idea as well to help supplement. And I love the ocean as well. So, um, you know, take, it's always nice too if you can get to Hawaii in the middle of the winter time or the Caribbean. I know. So. <laughs> Not everybody can do that. <laughs> That's a big plus there too. Um, so why don't we talk about the um, the oxalates and the, the, yes, the serum high right. oxalate issue, okay? Yeah. That's also interesting, yeah. And autistic kids, again, there have been studies that have shown that autistic kids tend to have high levels of oxalate in their blood. Oxalate can precipitate out as calcium oxalate crystals and cause, for example, kidney stones, and also can precipitate out as crystals in the brain to cause damage there. So oxalate is really tricky to manage. I actually believe that the high oxalate is a uh, consequence of the low sulfate, that the uh, liver actually is producing oxalate, uh, um, because there's insufficient sulfate, because sulfate and oxalate have a lot of similar biophysical properties. Oxalate can do some of the things that sulfate should be doing. But So when sulfate's deficient, you need to boost up the oxalate to compensate for it. And that's what I think is going on with the kids. And now it turns out that when you have high oxalate in the kidneys, it, there's, a, there's you know transport mechanisms that will try to preserve the sulfate and bring it back into circulation. But if there's high oxalate, they, those kidneys will actually throw away the sulfate. So that's how you get the high sulfate in the urine because of the high oxalate, which is outcompeting sulfate on those channels that come back in. It's really, really interesting. So the high oxalate is going to force the sulfate out of the body. It's kind of like the, the liver made a commitment to oxalate instead of sulfate because of a recognition that there's problems in the sulfate synthesis pathways. I think sulfite oxidase is really hit hard by glyphosate, and I know multiple mechanisms by which it would be. One is that it, it depends on heme. Sulfite oxidase ha- it depends on heme, uh, like hemoglobin, and heme synthesis is disrupted by glyphosate. That's been shown in studies so that it's hard to make the heme and therefore hard to make the sulfite oxidase. It also depends on molybdenum, which is a one of these plus two minerals, and glyphosate chelates these mem- minerals, making them unavailable. So there could be a potential molybdenum deficiency, a heme deficiency, and then on top of that, sulfite oxidase contains highly essential glycine residues that um, are essential for it to work. And I have a theory that glyphosate is getting is messing up proteins by substituting for glycine. Glyphosate is a glycine molecule. Glycine is an amino acid, and glyphosate is an amino acid also. Glyphosate is a complete glycine molecule, but it has extra material stuck onto its nitrogen atom, which is what makes it so toxic. And I think it's getting into proteins by mistake in place of glycine, and when it does that in certain proteins, it absolutely destroys their ability to do their job, and that's what I think is happening with sulfite oxidase. So in the gut... The sulfite oxidase is just totally butchered by the glyphosate, and that's how you get the sulfite toxicity and the sulfate deficiency at the same time. This is what makes the sulfur makes the sulfur sensitivity problem, because sulfite is so toxic. It's very very reactive, and it'll cause all kinds of collateral damage to the tissues. And um, so what happens then, of course, is that you can get a lot of overgrowth of uh, bacteria that reduce sulfite to hydrogen sulfide gas, and you see that with the autistic kids. They have these uh, microbes that are growing in their gut that are uh, turning the sulfide into hydrogen sulfide gas, which can also be toxic in high amounts, but it's not as reactive as sulfide. But one of the things hydrogen sulfide does is it strips off the wall of the gut gut lining. It it erodes the gut lining and allows, uh, produces the leaky gut situation, which then can cause all kinds of autoimmune diseases because undigested proteins, glyphosate disrupts the digestive enzymes, trypsin, pepsin, and lipase. The proteins don't get properly digested. And of course, the proteins themselves could be contaminated with glyphosate, in, in which makes it hard to break them down. 
So it's a real mess as far as undigested proteins getting out through that leaky gut barrier. And the leaky gut barrier sets up a leaky brain barrier as well. This allows even the undigested proteins to get into the brain. And this causes the brain's immune system to get very upset. And so you get a lot of autoimmune disease. I think uh, autism is in some sense an autoimmune disease where the immune system in the brain is actually attacking the myelin sheath that's lining the nerve fibers and really causing a lot of trouble there. So it's a real nasty cascade effect that is a consequence of glyphosate messing up so many different uh, proteins in the in the gut. It would be nice when um, hopefully glyphosate will uh, be banned from being used. There's so much science and education. You know, you've studied it you know, to lengths and continue to do so, it would be nice if the public were, as we're doing now, informing the public as well as we can help to do so. And that uh, would be nice if in the future they would they would ban glyphosate. There's ca- causing so many of these problems. So since they're out there, we know to we want to eat organically as best as possible, non-genetically modified foods, not eat genetically modified foods, uh, local sources that you know of, um, and, and all of those things. So uh, we're doing, you know, if everybody's doing as much as they can, of course, working to heal the gut, very, very important, getting those microbes back in balance, healing up the, the, the leaky gut aspects. Um, but are there other things, too, that can build, you know, you mentioned these oxalates. So anything else between foods or supplements yeah, I mean, or anything that people can do? Try to eat a low oxalate diet is one thing you can do, but that may not work because your liver may be going ahead and making the oxalate from other things. But certainly you don't want to encourage the oxalate situation, so you want to try to avoid high oxalate foods. Um, another thing that I find really interesting is that there's a microbe called acetobacter. There aren't many microbes that can break glyphosate down. Glyphosate has a difficult what's called a CP bond, and most of the microbes don't know what to do with that. So the glyphosate is mostly inert. Most things don't know how to break it down. But there are a few microbes that do know how to break down glyphosate, and one of them is acetobacter. And that is fantastic news because acetobacter is present in apple cider vinegar, sauerkraut, um, kimchi, kombucha, all those fermented foods contain acetobacter, and I suspect that that's a key reason why those fermented foods are so healthy, because it's not just that they're replenishing your gut microbes, but they're providing microbes that can break down the glyphosate um, to help uh, remove it. If there is glyphosate in your food, uh, these bacteria can help to remove it. So I think that those are very healthy foods to be eating. And of course, you want to be eating high sulfur foods, but you could have an issue with sulfur, and you'll certainly be aware, and I think many of the autistic kids have a sulfur sensitivity issue, which causes them to avoid sulfur-containing foods, and that's what gets them into this vicious cycle. So this is where you have to first heal the gut, you get rid of the glyphosate, get those enzymes working again. You know, and the, the bacteria may not be there, so you need to take the probiotics to get them back because glyphosate kills off. It's a, it's a patented antimicrobial agent, and it preferentially kills off bifidobacteria and lactobacillus, both of which are super important for so many roles. One of the things that um, is, is significant in autism and related to glyphosate is that glyphosate wrecks a pathway, a biological pathway in the microbes that produces the aromatic amino acids. And those aromatic amino acids, first of all, they're essential in the building blocks of proteins, but they're also precursors for the neurotransmitters, serotonin, melatonin, uh, epinephrine, dopamine, and melanin, all of those all of those come from this pathway that glyphosate disrupts in in the gut. And um, one of the reasons why Monsanto claims that glyphosate is safe is because our cells don't have that pathway. But we depend upon our microbes to use that pathway to produce these absolutely essential 
molecules that our cells don't know how to make. So there's a really, we don't realize how much we depend upon our gut microbes to provide critical nutrients that our cells are not able to make for themselves. And when we start killing off those microbes and disrupting those pathways, it causes all kinds of trouble in the gut, which eventually becomes systemic trouble. <clears throat> so... Yeah, that was great. That was a lot of really good information. Um, healing up the gut, getting rid of, of course, the bad foods and glyphosate, and then in increasing probiotics. Uh, and I'll also link to uh, some some great interviews that I have that can can give uh, you, the listener, a little bit more information on on each of those uh, more specifically, going more in depth on that, so that you have those resources as well. We need to take a short break. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Today, we have Dr. Stephanie Seneff with us, and we're talking about the sulfation pathway in autism autism. And uh, before the break, we were talking about some of the things that you can do to help build up uh, and balance out the the glyphosate issue and how it affects the sulfation pathway. And I know that Dr. Seneff, you had mentioned you have a very interesting story about taurine and how it affects um, or it plays a role in that sulfate supply. So can you share that with us? Yes, it's really, really fascinating. And actually, I learned about taurine long before I learned about glyphosate, but now I understand how glyphosate is disrupting taurine. Taurine is a very interesting, it's an amino acid, um, you know, like glycine, and it's a very interesting one. It it actually is not a coding amino acid, so it doesn't go into the proteins, but it's the most um, highly concentrated, it's the highest concentration of amino acids, free amino acids in the body. Taurine is the one that you have the most of. And it's interesting where it's stored. It actually is stored in high levels in the brain, in the heart, and in the liver. All three of those organs store store taurine. They squirrel it away. And it's not quite understood why they do that, although I believe I have the answer. The other interesting thing about taurine is that when the liver makes bile acids, it hooks the taurine, it hooks taurine molecules onto the bile acids before it sends them back to the gut. The bile acids are also very fascinating, and I could do a whole episode on bile acids, but bile acids are disrupted by glyphosate. I mentioned the cytochrome P450 enzyme problem and also the sulfation problem. Both of those are critical for the bile acids, and even the taurine conjugation problem may be uh, an issue with glyphosate as well. I'm still researching that. <clears throat> but the, um, And also the gallbladder can be disrupted in its ability to uh, contract to send the um, bile acids out to the gut. So you get a bile acid deficiency problem, which, for example, shows up in those BTBR mice that I mentioned earlier that have autism. They have a deficiency in bile acids. And I, I think the autistic kids do too. And of course, that's going to also disrupt the digestion of fats. But the bile acids are sent back with these taurine molecules hooked onto them, which is so fascinating. And then the microbes in the gut take the taurine molecule off the bile acids, and then I suspect they convert it into sulfate after they do that. Taurine is a sulfur-containing amino acid, and it has actually a sulfite attached to it. Sulfite is um, almost sulfate. You just need one more oxygen to make sulfate. So taurine is sort of like, um, it's what I consider it to be a storage form of sulfate. And I believe that the brain and the heart store the taurine as a reserve sulfate supply. And so when you have a critical situation of sulfate deficiency, severe sulfate deficiency, either the brain or the heart <clears throat> under that circumstance may decide to do a sort of really radical step to release that taurine into the blood, ship it over to the liver. The liver takes it up, a 
attaches it to the bile acids, ships it to the gut, and the gut microbes convert it to sulfate. And that's how you can beef up your sulfate supply when it's super deficient. And I think that is what is the critical cause of um, encephalopathy in the brain and seizures. You know, there's all these um, things that are associated with autism. I think autism can be described as a sort of low-grade chronic encephalopathy, sort of swollen brain. That whole... That whole um, process when the brain uh, is um, sort of even like an anaphylactic shock reaction, these things are all related to this uh, intense reaction in the brain to uh, respond to a severe sulfate deficiency by releasing taurine and then hoping that those gut microbes will come through and turn it into sulfate. And so I think that process is disrupted by glyphosate. One of the things interesting with the E. coli study, I mentioned earlier an E. coli study where they were looking at which enzymes were most affected by glyphosate or which proteins were most affected by glyphosate, the protein that was the most uh, severely reduced in expression by glyphosate was a taurine transporter, which means that the E. coli would not be able to take up the taurine. Even if it was given to them, they wouldn't be able to take it up, and which means they absolutely can't convert it to sulfate. So basically, I think that path, that path is blocked by glyphosate, and so taurine is no longer a workable resource to supply sulfate, which is a real panic situation for the body when that's the last resort effort and it fails, you know. And so I think that I actually believe a heart attack is is, is analogous to seizures in the brain, um, that it um, is associated with releasing taurine. This has been shown that in a heart attack, taurine is released from the heart into the circulation. And the same thing can happen where the heart has is sending the taurine off to the liver to go to the gut to get the microbes to make the sulfate out of the taurine. Really, really fascinating. Uh, stuff that I've uh, learned about from reading literature. Yeah, I would love to see a study on that. That is fascinating. Um, and so, so when so supplementing with taurine is suggested. Yes, I think so. Now, one thing you have to worry about a little bit is that taurine supplementation can cause seizures. Interestingly enough, and it's not surprising because if mm-hmm. you're supplying enough chlorine, then the brain is going to get this good idea that maybe we can, you know, convert it into sulfate. So, again, with the glyphosate situation, it may not work. It may be dangerous. This is the problem with all of these things. You know, it's very tricky to get the sulfate to get the sulfate supply up there. Part of the problem is sulfate itself cannot just be thrown into the blood and shipped as free sulfate because it will gel the blood. I mentioned that it gels water, it turns water into jello, and so the blood has to keep the free sulfate levels very low. Um, if they get too high, you're going to have a no-flow situation. And this is why there are all these sulfate transporters. There's cholesterol sulfate. I mentioned vitamin D sulfate. There's also serotonin. So serotonin is produced in large quantities in the gut. It's sulfated, and then it's shipped to the brain. So that's how you're supplying the brain with sulfate attached to serotonin. When you attach it to these molecules like serotonin and cholesterol and vitamin D, you protect it from from gelling the blood. So you need to have those sulfate carriers in order to be able to ship the sulfate around. And that's another thing that glyphosate disrupts. It disrupts all of those. Of course, the serotonin comes right out of the shikimate pathway, which glyphosate blocks. So you have a serotonin deficiency problem. That's also linked to uh, depression, for example, and we have a problem with depression in our society. I think it, and also violent behavior is connected to low serotonin. So I think these are uh, things that are happening as a consequence of the chronic glyphosate exposure that we're experiencing. I noticed as soon as I started really learning about healing the gut with my own son, and he had been really irritable and had these, you know, as we hear with children with autism a lot, there's a there are a lot of tantrums and anger episodes. And, 
And then uh, once his, you know, his gut began healing, that all started to dissipate. Today, he is the calmest, mellowest guy. That was, that is not, I could tell parents that, yeah, that is not your child's personality. That's not that they're just this angry person. It's because their gut is imbalanced. Their brain isn't getting what it needs. They're toxic. And um, serotonin, for, for our listeners, I want to be sure if, if you're not familiar with it, I call it kind of call it the king of neurotransmitters. But it's, it's important for things like mood stability and sleep and appetite control. So very, very important. Absolutely. And 95% of those are made in the gut. And so the gut then sends it to the brain because it's a brain messenger. So it all comes back to starting with the gut. So very, very important. Yeah, and it comes out of the nicomate path, which glyphosate disrupts. So, <laughs> Right, in the gut, exactly, right. Uh, we need to take a short break, and uh, we're going to be right back. Uh, this is Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We'll- Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. We have Dr. Stephanie Seneff here today with us talking about sulfation pathway in autism and all of the aspects that it is affecting for their for your child's health and how important it is for your own health as well. And um, I want to be sure to make sure that you know that I will be linking to anything that we discussed in this uh, in this interview on a page I created for you at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 24, just the numbers 2-4. And Dr. Senef, I wanted to ask you really quickly, you talked, we talked about the bile acids piece, and I would love to do a whole interview on just that in the future because I know the gallbladder, which helps with fat digestion, of course, and the bile acids are a big issue in children with autism because they just can't break them down. And they need things like omega-3 fatty acids for their brain, but they're having trouble with those fats. So do you have, we don't have a lot of time here. So is there something that you can, can touch on that would be helpful for our listeners right now? Certainly to show how glyphosate causes those problems. One thing really interesting mm-hmm. that I uh, have learned is that myosin, which is a, mu- a muscle contracting protein, is um, severely disrupted by uh, if it's glycine. Re- there's a particular glycine residue that can get messed up to cause it to not function at all, like only contract at 1% capacity. And I think what's happening is that glyphosate is getting into the myosin both in the gut, which is essential for the gut, for peristalsis, for the gut to contract. So you get constipation problems because the gut is basically paralyzed. And the gallbladder can become paralyzed as well because it needs myosin in order to release the bile acid. So you can get basically the bile doesn't get released. You get gallstones. You get, you get your gallbladder removed because you've got issues, all of that. But also you're not getting enough bile acids to digest the fat because they're critical for digesting fats. And so then the fats become something you can't uh, deal with. That easily eat, um, and the enzymes uh, that that break down the fat, that the lipases are are dis, are contaminated with glyphosate. Actually, Anthony Samso measured lipase. He ordered it from a lab, pick, a pig source of lipase, and found that it was highly contaminated with glyphosate. So were trip, uh, trypsin and, and uh, pepsin. So these digestive enzymes that people are taking, they could be taking glyphosate with those enzymes if they're not careful. But we probably have glyphosate in our own versions of those enzymes that are making them unable to do their job. So you can't break down the proteins, you can't break down the fats. Uh, maybe that's why these children tend to like sugars. They like to eat a lot of sugar because they can digest it much better than they can the proteins and the fats. So it's just a big mess with respect to the digestive system, with respect to glyphosate poisoning. <clears throat> and uh, how to fix that is really just to get rid of the glyphosate. I did want to add one more thing, which is the only way you can move glyphosate from water is through reverse osmosis. And reverse osmosis takes out all of the sulfur. So you need to um, it, water can be a very good source of sulfur, 
Um, and Pellegrino water is, is uh, the highest sulfur c- content of any bottled waters is in Pellegrino water. So I recommend drinking Pellegrino water for the sulfur. It's from, it's from okay. Europe and it's um, mineralized. Okay, that's good to know. And I will link to a water episode that I did as well with a with a water expert, give you a little bit more information as well. Uh, so thank you so much, Dr. Senna, for being here with us today, especially uh, from Hawaii on your vacation, taking your time out to share all of your your knowledge and experience with us. You're you're such a wealth of knowledge. I, I love having you uh, on the show and and being here with us. Um, so thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. And enjoy the rest of your trip and your holiday. And uh, thank you, everyone, for being here. I look forward to uh, seeing you soon. And this is Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. And uh, we will see you next week.